0: Okay,
1: we're
0: in. Is it Mikkel? Yes. Mikkel, Sam,
1: how you doing? Good to see you. Haven't seen you guys since uh, we did the Hell and Gone press earlier this year, which feels like it was ages ago, because what is (laughs) time? (laughs) Completely fake. Time
0: is different. Time is different in the 21st century. So (laughs) one day now has 29 hours in it.
1: Yeah. And then yeah. you feel everything right. in a
2: second. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, folks. It looks like I got everybody here. First off, hello. Oh. Good afternoon. Welcome to Netflix's You're Lock eyes. and Key Roundtable. Um, we'll be getting started momentarily with Gabriel and Joe. So once the session starts, I'll be calling on each of you individually, OK? So just remember to limit to one question at a time. And please remain muted until it is your turn. Uh, I'll go ahead and turn my camera off and call on the first journalist as soon as we're rolling, OK? Cool. Mike,
0: does your Mortal Kombat 2
1: play? Uh, I'm right in the middle of updating it with a Raspberry Pi, so no, not right now. Okay. (laughs) The um, the Pac-Man works though.
0: Oh, nice. (laughs) My all-time my all-time favorite game is Miss Pac-Man. Probably closely followed by Galaga. Yep, got those at home. Just don't have enough room in my office to fit them all. (laughs) Let's face it, video games have been trashed since 1991. (laughs) (laughs) All righty, my
2: friends.
3: Video game was Doom.
2: Let's (laughs) go ahead and get started. I love Doom. Um, We're going to go ahead and get started with Black Nerd Problems. Mikkel, you can go ahead and unmute your mic and start your first question.
1: Hi, uh, Mikkel Snyder from Black Nerd Problems. Great to be here. Glad to have you both on the line. So, uh, first question After years of having a lock and key adaptation being in some sort of development limbo for various reasons, what's it like not only getting two seasons out, but also getting renewed for a third season to to continue expanding on the lore and story.
0: I mean, I think it's amazing. And I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a tribute to the talent involved that they made something that was just, you know, such pure, you know, fantasy horror candy from the start. We had a Ace Development team. We had Carlton Cuse. We had Meredith Avril. Um, you know, we have a, the, the writer's room is like the lineup in the 1927 Yankees. I mean, they're all killers, every single one of them, you know, we wound up with a terrific cast, um, um, across the boards, uh, you know, even the soundtrack, I mean, the soundtrack, you know, um, I think. I know I'm biased, but I mean, I think Torrin Barrowdale recorded the soundtrack that's on the same level as the Harry Potter soundtrack. It's just so gripping and, you know, hits all the right tones. It's whimsical, it's scary. It's, you know, um, uh, just lovely. And um, so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's the adaptation is um, is its own creature completely. And I love it exactly as it is.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think the only thing I I would agree to that is is the fact that I think all the delays of the previous attempt of adaptation were the right thing to happen in order to get the property landing in the right hands at the right moments. We had the best possible creative team in charge of the show. And in a way, the same way as IDW publishing allowed us to tell the best story possible in comic book form I think Netflix is allowing the producers of the series and all the talent involved in it in telling the best possible TV show out of this idea and these characters and mythology. So we're very, very happy and excited about that.
0: Yeah, I just want to jump in and build off that real quick, because Gabe just made a really good point, you know, about the earlier version, the earlier attempts to bring it to screen. You know, I was thinking once about Carlton Cuse um, and what kind of producer he is, what kind of TV shows Carlton makes, you know, because you got guys like people, producers get their genre, like Stephen Bochco makes cop shows, you know, Dan Harmon makes, you know, weird existential comedy. You know, and I was trying to think, what kind of show does Carlton Cuse make? And it, it hit me finally that, you know, I finally realized Carlton Cues makes hit shows. That's his genre, is making hit <laughs> TV shows. Um, you know, and I think that he approached the earlier iterations of Lock and Key as learning experiences. It was, you know, other people had been turning the Rubik's Cube, trying to make it all come together. And he was able to look at that and say, we have to twist it like this and then it will look just right. And that's that's what he did.
2: Excellent, thank you, friends. Uh, we're moving on to Avery from Comic Beat. You may unlock your microphone and go ahead and ask your first question.
0: Hi, Avery, we can't see you, but we feel your spirit among us.
3: Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, so I'm Avery Kaplan from Comic Beat. Um, My question is for both of you. I'm curious what it was like seeing the Small World Key brought
1: to life, especially in a town called Matheson.
3: (laughs) It's kind of a a very interesting twist. And I got to say that uh, the Small World Key is probably one of the keys that would allow to have one of the funniest uh, visual approach for storytelling. So having that in the TV show, it's really a thrill. We know what the creators of the show have tried to, to make with this uh, piece of the story, and it's going to be awesome. So it, it, was, it was certainly a delight when we got the, that teaser online in which uh, Netflix revealed that The Small key was going to be one of the new ones in this season.
0: You know, Richard Matheson is, is one of the great sort of godfathers of this genre. And uh, of course, Incredible Shrinking Man, you know, terrific movie. It has the astonishing, you know, even, even now I still love it, even though it's like the cheesy effects, you know, the weird sort of, <laughs> you know, but you have the guy fighting the spider with the, he's got a needle and like a thimble or something, doesn't he? It's been a while since <laughs> I've seen it, you know, but um, of course, of course, you know, even going all the way back to the comic, uh, the Small World comic was in part, uh, you know, um, a way of paying of honoring Richard Matheson's work and having fun, you know, um, riffing on, you know, his imagination. It's also, um, the other thing is, is um, it's, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, um, uh, you know, I'm, Stephen King is, you know, my dad and he gets a lot of attention, but, but my mother is also a remarkable writer. Tabitha King is a terrific writer and her first novel was Small World about a woman who is shrunk down and lives in a dollhouse. Um, and the comic and the TV show, in some ways, they're both also honoring that as well. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I've learned just as much as a storyteller from my mom as I did from my dad.
2: Excellent. Moving right along to comic book resources. Sam, you may uh, open your mic and ask your first question.
1: Awesome. Thank you. This is Sam Stone at CBR.com. And I have to say, as a quick aside, as the lifelong arachnophobe, the finale to The Incredible Shrinking Man is incredibly traumatic to me. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, with, you know, you guys are still working on the comic book as the show is coming out. The second issue of Helen and Gone just dropped. Um, you know, yeah. you, you get to do all sorts of cool things. How is seeing the TV show and production alongside you guys still working creatively in this world kind of informed or kind of shed new light in this world that you guys created that you hadn't necessarily seen before?
0: I, I mean, you know, um, I, I feel like, you know, they're a little bit like fraternal twins, the show and the, the comic. Um, they, they each have their own personality, um, you know, their own way of walking and talking. Um, but I, I feel that they're very close to one another and sort of in a way in constant conversation with each other um, that one comments on the other and, and back and forth, you know, the example that I give of that is, um, you know, I I did a bunch of writing for the first season and we introduced, I, you know, I, I had this idea for the matchstick key and the matchstick key was, um, was thrown into, um, the show and became a thing, but it's not in the comic. And so, you know, we, Put it in the comic we we sort of you know a lot of that most of the keys in the show are from the comic but in this case we just took the key from the show and stuck it in the comic and sort of retroactively made it canon so we're sort of always you know it's a, it's the two the two stories are kind of cat's cradled together of narrative um and uh, it's sort of fun to see them play off each other
3: yes uh creative dialogue between the two of them it's really great that even from from very early on at the get-go of the adaptation process, both us as comic creators, as the people that's making the show as TV producers, we knew that the adaptation was a different approach to the same material and the same characters that was going to be developed with different tools. So there's an entire new creative landscape to explore over there. And that's very interesting because us, as the book creators get to see these characters and this mythology and this story from a completely different perspective, being able to expand things that we can't expand in the comic and to approach things and enlarge the cast and stuff like that, that for us then becomes a a sort of a learning experience of several parts that maybe in the future we can take either these characters or new characters to explore like new avenues in the Lock and Key lore in a way I think it's a it's always uh, uh, refreshing to have like brilliant, creative minds taking care of the same kind of stuff because you can learn from them. And and for me, at least from the visual and narrative point of view, has been a great like secondary lesson of how to learn new things that you can do with this, uh, with this story, with these characters and this universe. It has been incredibly fun and incredibly rewarding, and we're incredibly lucky to have so such a crew of talented people tackling this in the in the adaptation. Excellent. We're heading right over to
2: Freelance Clownfish. Mike, you can unmute and ask your first question. Thank you. Uh,
0: Gentlemen, what do you think the audience is going to take away from the second season that's going to
3: last a long time with them? I think they're going to take a lot of fun. We know that the producers of the show, now that they're like, have absolute freedom to do what they exactly what to do with this and these characters now that the first season works so well they're going to amp the action and the fun and the challenges and the drama as much as they can they have a pretty strong and clear idea of what they want to do with the story and the characters and they're getting all in into betting to to raising the stakes at the at, at the top level and i think in a way they have like all the tools they need to tell the story they want and they have room to add much more action and drama now that this universe is completely established. So, if you had fun with the first season, I'm pretty sure you're going to have like three or four times more fun in the in the second one.
0: Um, I would just add that you know I think that there's the second season is a few shades darker. Um, you know, is nudging this thing a little more. If the first one was our Star Wars, this is a little closer to the Empire Strikes Back, you know, nudging it in that direction. Um, there is uh, some mind-bending play with the keys, you know, that does things with the keys we haven't seen before and, and you know, didn't see in season one. Um, there is a fair bit of key warfare, which I think people especially enjoy because it's interesting to see move and counter move um yeah. with the powers of the keys and i would also say that that you know one of the themes of the comic one of the ways the comic and the show was alike um is that both stor- sort of thematically believe that um that that cruelty and evil can be shoved back into the box can be defeated but there must be sacrifices um you know that 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 the good guys can win but um but not without cost.
3: Um yeah. and so Especially when uh, power leads to mistakes and mistakes have consequences. So yeah. One thing so. is to to achieve your goal, but in the path to get it, it could be rough.
0: And look, a story has to play for keeps or or you know, or the menaces aren't menacing and the threats aren't threatening. You know, um and so I think this, you know, the first season, you know, and the second season are both a lot of fun. Um, you know, a really good time. Second season's a little bit darker and 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 there is it is you know clear that this is for keeps.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Excellent. Heading back around to the top, we've got Mikel with Black Nerd Problems. You may unmute your mic and ask your next question.
1: So speaking of key warfare, what is your favorite key across, let's just say the entire franchise since you two created it? <laughs>
0: I mean, I kind of want to change my answer because I always give the same I've been asked this a few times and I, I always give the same answer and it's so boring. I should really think of something different. I mean, the obvious the obvious answer is it's the anywhere key because it simplifies travel. No more getting to the airport three hours ahead of time, no more yeah. passing through the TSA guy, you know, getting hassled by the TSA guy, just you know, I can stick it in the door, open the door, step out in, you know, at Gabe's house and me and him go out to dinner in Santiago. And I can still be back in time to watch The Great British Bake Off on Netflix, you know? Um, so that's, I mean, I, I think it would be pretty cool to have the ghost key though. I mean, even as a child, I had this whole obsession with astral projection. Like I really wanted, it's a very writerly fantasy to want to be invisible and see how people are when they're alone you know and sort of be that you know and i feel like not a pervy look at him giving me the look like i'm a goddamn perv i mean i just you know you want to see people's private truths a little bit you know to be in on you know who are they when they take the mask off
3: that's what Um, the head key is for not the ghost key
0: yeah i don't know the head key is trouble. head key is trouble though you don't know what you're gonna let out from in there
3: yeah, about picking a favorite keys, it depends on the context, certainly to use one, for me, the most useful would be the anywhere key as, as much as Joe, because basically I live far away from everything in the world. And so to have a little extra hand to, to be able to visit my friends more often would be great, uh, but just to have fun, I think the angel key would be great to have the, just the, the chance to grab a harness and fly away. For a couple of hours to refresh yourself when you're stuck in the middle of a page that you don't know how to solve <laughs> when you're drawing, etc. Now, the, another that would be very useful is the time shift key that would allow me to stop the day for a couple of hours to finish the page and be able to deliver to the editor sometime. That would be great. But then in terms of the of the creating of the story then itself, I, I think the funniest keys are certainly the head key that in, in a story allows you to do some stuff that's absolutely impossible to develop in other medium and I think especially in comics works so well and the other one that's sort of a nightmare to tackle in the story but it as a storytelling tool is great is the is, is the crown of shadows the shadow key because basically it's horrible to have to draw over and over an army of living shadows uh, battering our heroes but when you have the, the adventure finally laid on paper it looks great so that would be a little bit of everything, depending on the context. That's one of the things. that These keys have fun for everyone, depending on the point of view you want to tackle them.
0: Just remember that Gabe's
3: anguish is our pleasure. And there's a lot of anguish in making the key. <laughs> a lot.
2: Excellent, my friends. We are headed over to Avery over at Comic Beat. You may unmute your mic and ask your next question.
3: So my next question is about the design
1: of Key House. I'm curious what it was like to design it in the comic and then to actually visit it in person. And I'm curious if that changed your perspective on
3: it. Gabe, this is all you. Well, being, being an actual architect, I approached the design of Key House for the comic as an architectural project. I, when we started developing the story, I sooner, very soon realized that Key House was going to be one of the main characters. And I wanted it as fleshed out as possible to be a part of the story. And also to have blueprints to figure out how to design the action sequence inside the house or, or outside the house when we got to that point in the story. So starting out and having like, it probably was throughout the developing of Welcome to Lovecraft and Head Games that we did like the entire design of the main house. Then get as, as the only limit in comics is imagination. You take some stupid decisions like making the house as asymmetrical as, as possible, as big as possible, as filled with the architectural designs as possible. And then you realize you have to draw it over and over. And then you realize <laughs> it made a big mistake and it's too late. But it was great because uh, having it built like an actual world for the characters to inhabit fed the story in a way that was very useful to make more vivid for the reader. So then when you, you have the chance to see that other crew of talented people capture as much of the ideas of the comic book as they could to make an actual functional real life house to their story for the show was nothing, nothing short of surreal to, to, to what the actual when we had the chance to visit for the shooting of the first season and, and see the staircases and the hallways and visiting the bedrooms and, and also realizing how these people to adapt the spaces in order of or how they're going to shoot the different scenes, how they need to take out walls and windows in order to fit cameras. And, and it was both a, a, a very interesting perspective from seeing it in the flesh and also figuring out how they use it for narrative and storytelling. And that was amazing as well. So it was an incredible learning experience uh, and, a, and a really fulfilling experience as a creator to see something that you design from scratch becomes a vivid element of an entire universe of narrative and stories.
2: All right, headed over to comic book resources. Sam, you may unmute your mic and ask your question. This will be the last question of this round table.
1: Oh, golly, unlimited power, the responsibility. The, um, <laughs> having just concluded a crossover between um between lock and key and sandman and with both properties serendipitously at netflix is there any hope for a crossover or is that just a legal like s storm that we can't even get into
0: <laughs> i mean i mean you know why you'd never say never my my feeling is as a sandman fan that i want to see neil's sandman stories you know i mean i think i think that's that's what everyone wants, and it's you know. Um, um, so I, my instinct is no. You know, <laughs> the two, the two have, the two have had this this nice moment when they got to hold hands, you know, in comic books. Um, and who knows? I mean, I think that we've had so much fun with it, and the DC certainly seems willing, and Neil certainly seems willing. It's always possible there might be another lock and key story in the comics. That, that, you know, explores some of the outer corners of the Sandman universe. Um, um, specifically, I would like to explain it. Some, I'd like to do another story, if not for any other reason, than to explain why the two universes overlapped in the 1920s, but don't by the time we get to um, Kinsey and Tyler and Bodie, um, because um, Kinsey and Tyler and Bodie do not exist in a universe with Batman and Superman. Um, but it is clear that Roger Burgess is in the universe with Superman and Batman. Um, so there is a reason why there is a reason why those two universes I, in my head, there's a story that explains why the two universes slid apart. Um, but, and we need to do another Mary Locke story to tell that.
3: Yeah, I, I, I'd say that in a way, uh, DC Comics has allowed Sandman to become what it is throughout time, and giving their creators time to develop it in the best possible way. The same way IDW Publishing yeah. allowed us to make Lock and Key as good as a comic, a book, and a story as as we could, and they gave us time to develop it, and it took us drawing six volumes of lock and key and then after that 10 years to develop an idea to finally come up with a worthy story to tell combining them two i think in a way netflix's goal probably is to get the best possible environment for lock and key and sandman to become the best possible versions of themselves shows they can Mm. and whatever happens after that I guess it's it's up to them, but they are up for making the most engaging, fun, and inventive storytelling possible. So I would say let let's let's let the future tell us what what's the answer to that. But I think that both properties are in great hands, both both in their publishers and in their streaming channel now. So. I am excited. I am
0: excited. I know we're running out of time. But I want to say that I am excited about, you know, Netflix's commitment to the horror genre. Um, You know, I'm so I mean, I think the two most important works, you know, in horror in terms of like TV, you know, from this century are probably, you know, um, you've got, you know, Mike Flanagan's The Haunting of Hill House and Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass both of which raised the bar for what's possible in the horror genre. I mean, I think expanded that canvas. And now, you know, Netflix is on the verge of releasing Scott Cavanaugh's The Splattering. Um, Which I think is poised to do the same, you know, starring Kinsey Locke and um, is just going to elevate the whole genre and, um, um, you know. Scott
3: Cavanaugh is about to become the next John Carpenter. I expect to see, yeah, I expect to see Scott
0: Cavanaugh's work, you know, winning the Fangoria Awards and, you know, really rocking the genre. So that's great.
2: Amazing, everyone. Thank you so much for your time and for being here. Thank you, guys. Uh, and thank you to Joe and Gabriel for your time as well. Uh, for anyone who is impressed, you can go ahead and hit that bottom right corner, the leave room or leave meeting for both of them. You guys are basically done for the day. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for hanging out with us all day, and I appreciate you. Yeah. So thank you so much time. for talking cool. with us. Great to talk yeah. to you. Have a nice Have a day. day, everyone. Let's see.